0: Hey everyone, this is Andrew. You're listening to the Mountain Park Church podcast, and we're excited to spend this last week in our foundation series with you. That's right, this is the last week. We're finishing off our conversation about the manifestations or the gifts of the spirit in the life of the church. And I just have two things I want to share with you before. Number one, we've left in an impromptu teaching and demonstration, I guess, uh, that I did on Sunday here locally in Niagara with our church family as it relates to prayer, praying with authority, and praying uh, with a spiritual sort of framework, okay? So we've left that in. It does connect into what I was talking about or what I move into as I talk about the role of shepherd slash pastor, there is a, you know, one of the things that Paul talks about, and I didn't actually mention this, but I want to just mention this ahead of time so that you add this into what, you know, what I said on on the weekend one of the things that the shepherd slash pastor is responsible for is to confront error, to expose error and, um, you know, bad doctrine and things like that. And one of the clearest examples is from Acts. When Paul is meeting with the elders of the church of Ephesus, they're on a beach. And Paul is telling them that they need to shepherd the flock because the enemy's gonna come in and he's going to try and um, just destroy the flock. Now, often we take only one side of this equation, which is the human addressing of doctrinal error and the protection of doctrinal fidelity our orthodox, historic Christian reading of Scripture. And that's super important and we need to do that. The other part of this that we don't often talk about is the spiritual aspect of this. Paul says that uh, false teaching actually has a demonic root. There are uh, roots of this that are not just human, they're demonic. And so, but often in our conversation of shepherding and pastoring, we don't address what's necessary in the spiritual. We just address the arguments and the apologetics, which again are very important, but we we address the, the sort of the human intellectual side of addressing false teaching, not the spiritual side, which Paul says comes from as the doctrine of demons. So anyway, part of this whole prayer at the beginning is my interpretation, my interpretation of what spiritual leaders need to do in addressing the roots of false teaching or the lies of the enemy over people. So secondly, as i was drawing out a further application for shepherding and talking about uh, men and their families and things like that i got a bit maybe over aggressive maybe a bit too spicy i i don't know if i was carrying the gentleness gentleness that i i i feel the holy spirit has called me to walk in and Uh, So I just want you to know, I don't want you to hear what I was saying from an accusatory or condemning sense. These are actually the things that I'm deeply wrestling with on a personal level. This is not um, me saying to everyone else, hey, you're not doing good with this. This is me with you saying, we need to raise the water level. We need to raise the bar, the spiritual temperature and climate of our own lives and our own families. And we need to raise that bar of what it means to spiritually shepherd our own families. And so I probably was a bit more intense than um, maybe I wanted to be, but I just wanted to say that and provide a little bit of additional context. So without further ado, this is the last week in this Foundations series. Love you all, I'll see you soon. Something I've been processing in my own life, um, as we talk about these last two Gifts. So um, we are finishing today our foundation series. We're talking about these last two gifts um, of the Spirit, and I'm just going to jump in because I need to. Um, and but I want to do a couple of things, and I'm going to pray again. And I, for those who are here all the time, you hear me pray like this all the all the time, and. But I want to set just a bit of context for you in that. Number one, just as I pray in a moment, I'm not talking to you. I'm actually talking to the spiritual realities that are going on in this room. Um, And so as I pray and address the spiritual realities, I'm setting a spiritual boundary for this place. And one of the reasons I'm doing that is... Um, as my role here as a shepherd one of my responsibilities is to provide a safe environment quote unquote spiritually so that you guys can receive that I can receive everything we can from Jesus and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more as I talk about the gift of pastoring and shepherding So just as I pray, I'm not talking about people or you Um, in particular. I'm just addressing what the spiritual realities are. As a church, uh, we have a biblical worldview, which means we believe the spiritual and the natural are intertwined. You can't separate them. We don't have a deistic view of God that is like there's a creator Who maybe made everything, but he sort of he stands at a distance and the spiritual realm and natural don't really interact. That's not a biblical view of the universe or reality. We hold a biblical view that believes that the natural and the supernatural intertwine together. You can't you can't pull them apart. And so, although we are here and in, in our, our five senses are operating in, our, in the natural here, there are things going on supernaturally, whether we're aware of them or not, that are just true and they're just real. And so, when I pray like this every Sunday, it's not, um, I'm not talking to you as people, um, and I'm not praying out of fear in this way either. I'm just sort of establishing the ground rules for what can take place because I don't want, as far as it depends on me, I don't want to give the enemy an opportunity to blind anyone here to the ministry and the desire of God's heart. And they love to do that. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. The enemy blinds the minds. Of people, He blocks their capacity to receive revelation of who God is. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, Paul talks about the reality that we're in a spiritual battle. We don't fight as humans fight. Our weapons are not the weapons of this world. We don't use power. We don't use aggression. We don't use manipulation. We don't use the tools of the world. We don't fight in the way that nations fight each other or certain groups fight each other. We fight spiritual battles. But we have to use spiritual weapons to fight spiritual battles. So often in my life, this is a temptation, and maybe it is for you too. So often I'm tempted to address the realities of the spiritual realm with natural weapons, anger, judgment, impatience, frustration, power. I want to lord things over people. I want to exert dominance and influence. I want position. I want authority. I want to wield myself. I want to intimidate. I want to undermine. I want justice in my version of that. I want to be right Just ask (laughs) Rochelle. I want to be right. I want to be vindicated. I want those who have hurt me to be judged. I want them to experience uh, some of the pain. Like these are my, these are the natural human ways of trying to address situations. And Paul says, we don't use those things. They're fruitless in supernatural realities. You're bringing the wrong weapons into the fight. And Paul says that the reason, one of the reasons we need to engage in this is we need to demolish strongholds of argument. So that's our logical processes, our rational thinking, the ways that we rationalize and perceive the reality of world of the world around us need to be destroyed from their human perspective so that we can actually operate and live out from the mind of Christ. So we destroy arguments, Paul says, and that's just not like fighting and bickering between people. The arguments are the things that rise up in your spirit and in your soul and in your heart that demand you respond in a way that the world would respond. Demand you go tit for tat. Demand that you assert yourself. These are the arguments internally, the logical processes of how we are to engage with what we see and hear and feel around us. And Paul says we destroy those strongholds that lead us to react and respond in ways that are human, We are human, but we don't fight as humans fight, Paul says. And then he says that we destroy every lofty opinion. Again, this is not just the external opinions of people in the world around us, the stuff in us, the lofty opinions that are raised against the knowledge of God, the things in us that block our ability to really understand, to to have a, a divine, a supernatural revelation of the reality of God in the midst of conflict or the fight or battle. And so Paul is saying the way that we do this is spiritual. It's not with human means. So each Sunday when I pray like this, I'm exerting my authority as a shepherd to set spiritual boundaries. Very rarely, like um, for me, I don't, I don't, I don't, some people get glimpses of the, of the supernatural realm. They see things. I don't typically. So I'm not responding necessarily to what I am seeing I'm just acting in the authority that God has given me in spiritual places. And my goal in doing that is to create spiritual boundaries that would allow the heart of the Father to be experienced and known by you without the interruption and the distortion and the lying and confusion that come with the enemy. What I want is for Jesus to be beautiful to you, for you to see him for who he actually is, to experience his presence and his nature. That's why I pray the way I do each Sunday. And we're going to, I'll just touch on that a little bit later on too. So again, I'm not praying this out of fear, in any way, I'm just kind of saying, for, for his own reasons, God's made me the sheriff in town, and this is what the sheriff says about what should happen or not. So, um, And he's given you, and the other reason I do this is to model it for you. This is absolutely the kind of way you should be praying over your families. This is not a Sunday morning church thing. This is like just a life thing. This is not how I pray all the time. I'm not obsessed with the kingdom of darkness at all. I don't pray out of fear. I don't, this is not like I don't, I don't, um, you know, I I walk around with an awareness of these realities, but these I'm not, um, you know, I don't pray like this all the time. But I do this in order to model for you how to pray like this. Whether you have realized that or not, that's been a huge part of my heart and my intention, is to actually teach you by just doing. So, I'm going to pray and then um, we'll get into talking about the rest of Ephesians chapter 4 and these last few gifts as we close out this Foundations series. So, Let's just pray together, and um, yeah, we'll continue on. So, Father, we do submit ourselves to you. We bring ourselves under your lordship and under your authority. We bring ourselves under the blood covering of your son, Jesus Christ. We bring ourselves under his leadership and his authority. And Holy Spirit, we bring ourselves under you and your authority. Father, I dedicate this space and this time, each family represented here under the sound of my voice, our building and our property, everything inside of the boundary markers of this property, I bring under the authority and the covering of Jesus Christ all of our kids downstairs and our kids' volunteers that are so faithful every week. We cover them now, Jesus. In your greater, uh, most ancient and powerful blood covering, the, the covenant of your blood. I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you are here. I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you did come. I'm so, so thankful, Jesus, you came to destroy the work of the devil. I'm so thankful, Jesus, that yours is the name that's higher than every other name. That there is no principality, power, leader, ruler, or authority in the heavens or on earth that can contest, that can contest you in any meaningful way. I'm so thankful, Jesus, that not only do you have the name above all names, and not only are you the authority figure over the heavens and the earth, but you are our good shepherd and you come in gentleness and you come to serve and minister to your people. I thank you, Jesus, for your presence here with us this morning. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I command now any... Unholy power, any unclean spirit that is here without rights or grounds in anyone's life to leave now in Jesus' name. I forbid you from using this space physically now. I command all um, spiritual portals to be shut now in the name of Jesus. I seal them off with the blood of Jesus and I forbid any unclean spirit from traveling in or through this territory now, from carrying any unholy power to assist anyone else that's here. In Jesus' name, I command all spirits present who are here with rights or grounds in people's lives now to be gagged and restrained. I command your power to be suspended. And I forbids you from blocking or hindering the work of the Holy Spirit in any way this morning. In Jesus' name, I command you to move aside and allow the heart of the Father to be experienced and felt. According to Paul, I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be open now that we would receive a deeper and greater revelation of the nature and reality of the Father this morning. And I forbid any unclean spirit from hindering the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit over us. In Jesus' name, I also break and cancel every curse that's been leveled against our church. Any dedication, ceremonies, rituals, invocations, or means of conjuring unholy power to set itself against the church, to divide and destroy. Now I cancel in Jesus' name. If there have been any, um, any words spoken for the purpose of the destruction of the kingdom of God or the body of Christ here, I break them now in the name of Jesus. I cancel their curses and claim the covering of the blood of Jesus over anything satanic that has been sent against this church or anyone who is a part of this church in Jesus' name. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would fill this place with the fruit of your presence in your life. Would you just come in your peace now? Would you come and carry with you the the reality of the kingdom to each person here, I ask that you would strengthen and purify your gifts in your body today. Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to accomplish? And how is it that I can serve your heart for your body this morning? We submit ourselves to you, Holy Spirit. We yield ourselves to you. Father, would you fill this place with the beauty of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Holy Spirit, would you glorify Jesus in our midst today? Would you make him the object of our affection? Would you stir up and refan into flame those embers that have grown cold in us today? Would you recapture our hearts and our imaginations with the kingdom of God in a meaningful way today? We entrust you with these moments we have. We love you. Amen. Amen. So Ephesians 4, we're just going to read a little bit of this, and we're just going to cover these last two. So uh, let's just read that first, and then we'll cover these last two manifestations of the Spirit's presence in the life of the church. 4 verse 11 in the book of Ephesians. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The charisms as it is, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Paul goes on to say, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So just a a little statement before we cover these last two specific gifts. Um, There's great debate, great scholarly debate with people much smarter than I am about what Paul is actually saying. Is he saying that these people that hold these gifts are the ones who operate in the life of the church and kind of take care of the life of the church so that everybody is uh, built up and encouraged? Or is he saying that, It's the people in the church, not just pastors or staff people, but the people in the church who carry these things that are responsible to teach and train others in those giftings so that they can also build up and encourage the body of Christ. My personal interpretation of this would be the second. that These are not offices that just a few people get to do and they do it for everybody that has sort of become the de facto way our Western church has operated, with professional ministry people carrying the bulk of the load. But that's not what Paul is envisioning here. Remember, he's talking to house churches. He's not talking to churches that are even this large. As small as our church may be, he's talking to churches that meet in people's homes, maximum maybe 50 to 75 people would fit in one of these house churches that he's talking to. So he's not talking about his frame of reference isn't this professional class of spiritual people who have gone to Bible school or seminary and hold degrees in this stuff who are supposed to be just doing everything in the life of the church. What he's talking about here is the release and equipping of the body with these very gifts, so that the body can be built up and sustained, I think it's some really significant ways if if you know if Paul was here or in most of our churches right now he 'd go, "What are you guys doing?" i don 't even recognize this. Not that everything we're doing is wrong inherently or anything like that, but we've we've slid you know off into this ditch where we just have a few people that do most of the things and the rest of the body is struggling to be equipped in their own life in their own family to carry these very gifts and so i think it's it's my personal sort of conviction would be that these things that paul is talking about are not meant for just a few They're meant to be present all over in the body and people activated in them. Also, I just want to remind you that none of the lists of gifts, none of them are meant to be a systematic, theological, comprehensive treatise on what they are. Paul is listing off the things that are necessary to speak to based on the context of what he is uh, aware of in the life of the church. So so here's like this, this tension that we have to live in with uh, the writing of the New Testament, especially the epistles. The tension we have to live in is some of the things that Paul is talking about are for the whole church for all time, and they apply to us in the exact same manner and everyone else all through history. But some things that Paul talks about in the epistles, Ephesians, First and 2 Timothy, are specifically directed at local situations that were happening. So even as Paul teaches, there's some hard passages in Ephesians even about people wearing head coverings, women and forbidding women to speak, or to even exercise their voice. Paul says some really hard and confusing things, but we have to remember, first rule of biblical interpretation is context, and Paul is addressing very specific issues in the life of the church. So when it comes to this list that we kind of call, quote-unquote, the five-fold ministry gift. We've made a bit too much of that. This is not comprehensive, and he's not saying these are the only gifts that God is releasing into the life of the church. These are just the five that address the specific issues before Paul as he's counseling Timothy on how to pastor in the midst of Ephesus. So we can't view this as a comprehensive de facto, like this is the box and this is it. Each one of these lists that Paul goes through, 1 Corinthians 13, 14, Romans 12, there's one in 1 Peter that Peter uh, touches on, and Ephesians 4, they're fragments of the totality of what God releases in the life of the church, but they're not meant to be a systematic theological treatise on everything pertaining to the subject. And so we just have to hold these with a bit of, flexibility, and grace. These gifts as well, i just remind you again, if there's only a couple of things you've gotten out of this last, whatever, 13 weeks, these would be it. I know that you don't even remember what I said five minutes ago, so I I don't have high expectations for you, and I'm not offended by that because I forget half the time what I said. Um, but if you remember anything from this, because literally I try and repeat it every Sunday, I want you to remember this. These are not things. These are not uh, things on the shelf of your life. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up this prophetic thing or this healing thing or this evangelism thing or this word of knowledge thing, or this mercy thing, or this exhortation and encouragement thing. This is not how we are to think of these. They're not things that a distant God kind of like just sort of pushes into outer space that we just grab and go, okay, I've got my thing. These are the very expression of the presence of God himself. These gifts, the reason Paul calls them grace gifts is because they're the reality of God's presence manifest and evidenced in the life of the body of Christ, the followers of Jesus. That's why he calls them manifestations because they're the expression and the evidence of God's nature and his character. These are the kinds of things that happen when God is on the move in your family, and in your life, in your workplace, in your church. These are not meant to be relegated to Sunday morning ministry. They're meant to be the expressions of God's presence just lived out through you all the time. We should see as much of this happening on our street and in our neighborhood as we do on Sunday morning here. Why? Because they're just the outflow of who God is. They're the way that God loves to interact with people. They're the very kinds of things that God himself does. So that's why he gives them as an expression of himself. So to seek spiritual gifts is literally to seek the presence of God himself. And that's why we should seek them. What you are saying when you're asking God, would you gift me, quote-unquote, is God, would you release your very presence through my life in ways that I can't control necessarily, in ways that are not reliant on my power? They're not reliant on my ability. They're not reliant on my temperament. These things are not the things that you're just naturally good at. These are the expressions of God's heart. Just to clarify, we can control them. Paul says in Corinthians, the spirit is subject to the prophet. You're never out of control. So I'll correct myself there from that. You're never out of control. And that's why Paul calls for order when we're gathering together. So these are the expressions of the very presence of God himself. So to ask him to fill you and manifest himself through these things in your life is not to seek some intangible thing that is wrong. It's actually to say, God, I want to be walking with you in steps so closely that some of these things are the things you're just going to naturally pour out of yourself, out of my life to those around me. These gifts are not just for us to navel-gaze with on Sunday. They're for the world around us. They're to build up and exhort the body of Christ to strengthen you and encourage you to strengthen your faith so that as you walk in dark places through the week, you carry a greater measure of faith to understand that you're walking literally. The kingdom of God is present as you walk in dark places places. So when we see more of the activity of God's presence, more of the manifestation of his presence, the fruit of that is that you're encouraged, your faith is built up, and you walk with a greater increased awareness of his presence on a daily basis. There's a a missionary named Frank Laubach, and he had this experiment that he, that he cultivated in his life over years and years and years. And his experiment, what he wanted to, to develop in his own life was the attention and awareness to God's presence every minute of the day. And he actually worked up to this. He actually like set reminders for himself to turn his attention back to God's presence. They weren't, these weren't big like, hey, I'm, I'm gonna fall to my knees in the middle of the street in downtown London, England and just cry out to God. It wasn't that. It was God, um, every minute I wanna be aware that you, your, your presence is near and I am actually walking in your presence, not just in the reality that I see around me. And the fruit of that led to a powerful life. God used him so powerfully. Why? Because he was aware and attentive in every situation and scenario. And that would be my heart for what we do with these gifts for your life. It's not just that we have cool services and we get wowed by the supernatural things God does, that may happen. But that you and I, together, we learn to steward the presence of God in such a way that when you're at work, you're aware of his presence. When you enter into conflict at home, you're aware of his presence. Quickly, you snap out of kind of the the normal mechanism of life for how to deal with things, and you're like, Whoa, God is here. I'm in his presence. What does that mean then? It means I need to actually defer to him in this moment. I want to live my life in such a way that he's leading every moment of my day. I want to be attentive to what he's saying, to what what his heart is for the people that I'm around. I don't care if it's downtown on Bridge Street in Niagara Falls, it's downtown in St. Catharines, or you're walking through a gazillion people at Niagara Falls from different, can you imagine if the whole body in Niagara was operating in this church even? Can you imagine if we were operating in this way where we were cultivating an awareness of the presence of God, an awareness of the presence of God and inviting him to manifest himself through his gifts in our life? Can you imagine what would happen if we were just, you were walking down in the crowded tourist area, and you were just aware of the Holy Spirit's voice, and then maybe you took some risks of courage to test that voice, maybe he would want you to encourage somebody from another country, or maybe he would give you, release a prophetic word, which is just the human report of divine revelation. Maybe he would want to do that, or maybe he would want to heal somebody. Or do, can you imagine somebody flying home on a plane and going, I, I don't even know what happened, but something happened. And I'm carrying now, people are carrying the reality of God's transforming presence to different nations. Can you imagine that? Uh, we, we're so lucky as a church, we wouldn't even have to go to every nation of the world. We just got to go down Clifton Hill. <laughs> and you need to pray over those uh, funnel cakes and things there just to resist temptation as you're walking by. <laughs> that might be my own struggle personally, but, but can you imagine if we cultivated the presence and gifts of God, the manifestation of his reality through us in such a way that wherever you were, whenever you were, whoever was around, whatever you were doing, you were sensitive to the Holy Spirit's voice and open to him working powerfully through you. And it's not just about all of the, 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 the flashy gifts. What if it's actually to sit and mourn with somebody who's grieving? That's the heart of God. That's absolutely the heart of God. That's an expression of his nature and character. To have compassion on those who are suffering. So much of the prophetic prophetic, um, announcement of God, the judgment prophetically of God, and so much of Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, and Isaiah, these great prophets, it's an indictment of their total disregard to carry the kingdom of God to the broken and the hurting, their ignorance of the poor. Their total, their their adoption of the world's power systems which say, I'm going to get for me, and if I have to push you down so that I can elevate myself, I'm going to do it. So much of those prophetic messages to the people of Israel were centered around how they were not carrying the kingdom to their own people. I think there's still application for us in that. Again, we have... Created three very loose categories for these. I'll show you those. Uh, we'll just throw those up on the screen. Again, Paul doesn't categorize them, so we, we have to be just very careful with that, but sometimes it helps us wrap our head around things. So three categories. Number one, love manifestations. These are the manifest a presence of God expressed through love in tangible ways. We've covered those gifts, help, serving, leadership, administration, giving, kindness, and mercy. You can listen... To the messages that covered those, second, very loose category: word manifestations. These clarify the nature, actions, and purposes of God. It's a gift of encouragement, teaching, shepherd, pastor, which we'll talk about. Apostleship. We talked about that a bit last week. Leading and ruling in evangelism. And third are the power manifestations. These things, these expressions of God's nature, manifest His power and his presence and reality in tangible ways. These are things like prophecy, tongues, interpretation, faith, discernment of spirits, healing miracles, words of wisdom and knowledge. None of these categories are, um, are, are elevated above another one. These are all equally an expression of the nature and the heart of God. So last two ones uh, for this today and for this uh, part of the series here. The gift of evangelism. This is a terrifying one for me personally and uh, for many of you. And I think I have like PTSD trauma from being in like, my dad has a gift of evangelism. He so clearly does. And um, growing up, it was like evangelism boot camp. We're going to learn how to talk to people random strangers and give our testimony and present the four spiritual laws and all of this stuff. I'm terrified by that. I don't like talking to strangers, particularly. But my dad loves that kind of interaction. And so I have this, like, I have a legit post-traumatic stress disorder (laughs) trigger with evangelism. But I'm actually, when you take evangelism and you reframe it, as just a response to the initiative of the Holy Spirit, it changes everything. It moves it out from like, I have this thing that I'm supposed to do to I'm just walking in response. If the Holy Spirit wants me to initiate uh, a a conversation with somebody, I'm not just going to fire a track in their hand. And just say, hey, do you know the four spiritual laws? No, I'm going to, it's a totally different mechanism. And some people are good at that. I get like, I, I get nervous around street preachers. Like, and I'm not even like with them or around them. I just, it just like freaks me out. I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. I'm just like, I could never do that. Maybe they have the gift of evangelism. Some common characteristics of this gift. You have the ability to talk before, groups of people and easily key word there easily (laughs) easily converse with strangers you have an intense concern over the thought of people being unsaved and eternally unreconciled to God the ability to insert spiritual truth in normal conversation with the unsaved a freedom and joy so that those are other key words here none of these gifts come with annoyance, frustration, like begrudging, like, you know, um, that, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. So if that's going on, you may be like doing your best to try and just, you know, be faithful to Jesus, but maybe you're not operating in a gift if that's happening. Um, freedom and joy in talking about Christian things naturally in an unforced way. So again, this is not me. I did several years of short-term mission stuff all over the world. One particular story that I, it's so embarrassing, it, like the, one of the hugest evangelism fails of my life. Um, I had spent a summer leading a team through California, and a good, a good chunk of our time was in the city of Fresno. Fresno has one of the worst crime rates of any city in America. It's horrific. Plus, it's in the desert. It's, no, it's near nothing cool in California. It's like way off of the ocean. It's in the middle of a hot, arid desert, and it's filled with crime. We spent time there, and part of our assignment was to, to do a ministry to gangs. So at this time, I'm a white 18-year-old from southern Alberta, so I'm basically a redneck uh, for all intents and purposes, according especially to these people we're ministering with. I'm not saying everybody from southern Alberta is a redneck, but um, I don't fit into the categories that are there. Anyway, we, we began to develop some relationship with these gang members and these gang leaders and, and just spent time with them. And we weren't handing out tracts and doing We were just spending time with them. And uh, after the trip, I came back and I was working um, at a ski resort out west. I was managing uh, one of the shops there at the ski resort. And so I had all of these young, totally baked out, high school kind of dropout ski bums working for me at this shop. They were all like barely graduated. They just, all they wanted to do was smoke pot and ski powder. Which the powder skiing part, I really loved. Anyway, we're at work one day. And um, because I also don't know how to assert myself well, in the middle of their shift, like four of them are like, hey, Andrew, we're just going to go get baked in the shed. And we'll, we'll be back in 15 minutes. And I'm like, I'm their boss. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you, go, you go do that. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, right? I struggle with boundaries, right? Okay, I'm just telling you. So anyway, they do. They go to, like, the shed behind the shop. They get totally baked, and they come back, and we're serving customers. And they're they're just super chill. They're really happy. And uh, we're talking. And then they start asking me questions about what I had been doing in the summer. I said, well, I was down in Fresno, and, you know, I was just like hanging out with gang leaders and working with people. And literally, like, they're totally stoned out of their minds, and they're like, whoa, that's super cool. Like, whoa. And then one guy just so blatantly is like, what do you have to offer a gang leader in Fresno? It was like the clearest invitation. And my tongue got about three feet wide and thick. I literally, I was like, uh, 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 I don't know. I literally, that's what I said. I totally blew it. I never again had an opportunity like that with those guys. Maybe should have let them go get high more often during the middle of their shift, but um, I've struggled with this deeply in my own life. But God has gifted some of you just naturally, this stuff just kind of flows out of you in ways that are not natural for everyone. But also with this, I want to just say um, that there's a certain part of all of these things that should be a normative for all of us. But um, I, our heart as a church is not to force you into something that is not actually God's best expression of himself through you. So in order to be connected in and and involved in the life of the church, you don't have to be an expert evangelist. If you are, and if you do love this, then yeah, we want to... There's some things this fall that I feel like God is speaking to me about that could be a a part of the expression of the life of our church. That we we actually want to walk with people in this gift just down at the bottom there it says you feel led to pray often for unsaved people by name some of you um and this is great some of you are list prayers right so how many of you are list prayers here like you actually you have a list you have names and every day you just faithfully you're praying for those people just put your hand up if if you're a list prayer hi put your hands up high so i can see them yeah we need you We need you. I struggle praying lists like that. But we need people that actually carry a burden and a heart to intercede for and pray for people by name. We need people that do that within the life of our whole church body. For some of you, if you maybe have this gift, your intercessory prayer time focuses on unsaved people or groups of people. Maybe God has given you an unusual burden for a geographic area of the world. Maybe you're here in Niagara, but you, you come from a different country. There's many of you here that are like that. And maybe God is, you carry still a deep burden for your home country. I want to just encourage you to continue. That's the heart of God, because He cares. All right, and lastly, this gift of um, pastor, shepherd. Now, our uh, English translations often use the term pastor. Actually, this is the only time the word pastor, but actually in the Greek, it's shepherd, is used. So here's another interesting incongruency. We create like these, we call almost everybody a pastor. (laughs) And Paul is very selective with who he actually gives this Assignment and this designation to. Um, here's uh, a generic sort of understanding. The pastoral gift is the capacity to exercise concern and care for members of a group so as to encourage them in their growth in Christ, which involves modeling maturity, protecting them from error, and disseminating truth. Jesus describes uh, or described shepherds as people willing to lay their lives down to protect the sheep. They instruct build unity, and heal wounds. I have some additional thoughts about this. Um, And I think we actually need to expand, not lessen, but just expand our understanding and our perception of what this gift is. This would have been one of those gifts that for most of my life, I didn't want and even resented. I thought to be a shepherd was weak. I thought, you know, like I'm growing up in flannel graph Sunday school. I thought the shepherd was, you know, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus cuddling with sheep, right? Because that's what the flannel graphs showed as a kid when I was growing up. I thought being a shepherd was like, oh, like, that's like you're over-emotional. I'm never over-emotional. Um, and, uh, you just, you know, you, you just love to, to, to care for people and that's part of it. But actually Jesus has been showing me, uh, something different. I want to read to you from first Samuel and I want to talk to you about a different perspective of this. We do need a different image of the shepherd. 1 Samuel 17, 32, don't worry about this Philistine. So this is David. Now he's come to the battlefield. Um, Israel has been deadlocked uh, with uh, the Philistines for a long time. And Goliath has been taunting Israel. And they're terrified. Nobody wants to fight him. And David shows up. He comes to bring his brothers some food. And he's like, "What are you? what's going on here? What are you guys doing? Like, why are you having so much trouble here? So he shows up, and uh, everybody talks to him about Goliath. He sees Goliath in action. He sees the terror and the fear of all of those in the army around him. And he also hears that Saul has given a reward. He's issued a kind of a, a bounty, a reward for anyone who would kill Goliath, and mean, meaning like you'll get my daughter in marriage and you, you know, you'll be welcomed into the royal family. So David comes along and he's uh, a little runt of a guy, but he has been out in the fields as a shepherd. That's his vocation. And uh, he says this, don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. So Saul is like, you're way outclassed, David. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. I'm a shepherd. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. So, a couple of things. Let me finish this before. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. There's a couple things I want to point out to you. Um, one day, as I was driving, this is like maybe two years ago, I was wrestling with just God's call on my life and what it means to like pastor, shepherd a church. And I didn't think it was um, something I was interested in. Uh, I didn't think that it, um, it fit with me. And The Holy Spirit, as I was driving, reminded me of this story. And then I just heard, just just quietly, the Holy Spirit say, Andrew, you know, David would have bore on his body the scars and the marks of him fighting off bears and lions to protect the sheep. And then the Holy Spirit said, "You, you know, Andrew, Shepherding isn't weakness, it's actually warfare. And Jesus in John 10 calls himself the good shepherd. And Jesus too bore on his body the scars of going into battle to protect the sheep, to protect the flock. And shepherding, yes, is a care and concern for people. It is... Uh, an expression of compassion and care and concern, but shepherding inherently is warfare. But like I said at the beginning, this is not human warfare. This is spiritual warfare. This is not me fighting against people. I'm not even fighting against systems, world systems. I'm, I'm fighting spiritual battles. Some of you are fighting the wrong things. You're fighting the wrong battles and your family are left exposed because you're so focused on this other stuff. The shepherd is a tactical strategist and a warrior who orients his life around the well-being of the flocks and his care. That's just something I made up. And I think part of our struggle in church life and in family life is that we've misinterpreted what it means to shepherd. And maybe, like me, you grew up with flannel graft Jesus and you think it's just cuddling cute little sheep, you know, and, and nursing them with a bottle. <laughs> but it's actually going to war, strategically going to war to protect those that have been entrusted to you. And in Paul's treatment here in Ephesus, he's not talking about big churches. He's talking about homes and home churches. Churches that are rooted, the body of Christ, rooted in people's homes. And I feel like there's a secondary application here that the Holy Spirit's just been speaking to me about. And that's a call, especially to you men, the guys here, that's a call to you to wake up and be a legit spiritual shepherd to your home. Some of you guys have been fighting the wrong battles. You've been so engaged in political life, in social life, and trying to teach your kids, for good reasons, how to uh, you know, oppose what's happening in the world around you, but you've done nothing to spiritually protect and shepherd them. You've just taught them how to think critically, how to argue, how to oppose people, how to cancel things, how to, you know, um, for for some of us, that's like, oh, we're going to boycott Disney. We're going to boycott this and that and everything else. And if you want to do that, that's okay. But that's not where the battle lies. The battle lies in spiritual heavenly places. And God has set you, especially men, as an authority figure to shepherd your children. So the question is, are you modeling for them spiritually what is necessary for them to grow and thrive in the kingdom? Are you actually doing it? And so here's what a shepherd does. He actually, he's got to know the lay of the land around him. He has to be an expert in understanding where water is in understanding how to, uh, how to recultivate arid and barren earth. Many of the great nations and geographic areas of the earth that are shepherding places are arid and dry. Where David is shepherding is bone-dry, rocky, arid ground. And the role of the shepherd So that the sheep could lay down in green pastures, the role of the shepherd was to know how to soften and regenerate the soil so that good things can grow. And the question is, do you know, are you doing it in your own life? Are you cultivating the spiritual soil in your life so that your family and your children can lay down and rest and be nourished by what God is doing in your life? Are you leaving them out? in the wilderness hopeless. This is something, I'm not saying this as an indictment. This is a deep conviction that God is stirring within me for my own children. What are you doing, Andrew? You're fighting all of these cultural wars, but you're not cultivating the soil of your own heart so that the good things of the kingdom can grow and your children can grow up with something to eat and nourish them as they grow up in their life. And the role of the shepherd is to know how to regenerate the soil so that the sheep have something to eat. The role of the shepherd is to know where water is and to be able to lead the sheep to the water. Do you know where the spiritual water is? Men, and are you leading your kids? Are you teaching them to know where to find spiritual water? We want to teach them how to think critically about things. That's important. But the Holy Spirit's been, been hammering this In my own heart and soul, Andrew, are you teaching them the spiritual things necessary to allow them to sustain life in the world that's coming? You can watch Ben Shapiro, Charlie Kirk, all those guys, till you're blue in the face, training your kids to know how to argue with people and confront things will not give them the spiritual sustenance they'll need to survive. They have to know where the water is and where the fertile ground is. If we don't teach our kids the spiritual stuff and become spiritual shepherds of our family, women too, you have a role in this. If we're not doing that, if we're not setting the boundaries, if we're not fighting spiritually the lions and bears that are coming to steal, kill, and destroy, our own children are not going to be able to endure what's coming in the world. So full circle, this is why I pray like I do every Sunday. Because I'm setting as the shepherd of this church a spiritual boundary marker. There's a place for apologetics. There's a place for entering into dialogue with our culture. There's a place for these things. But so much of my own temptation and so much of our Western evangelical church's temptation has been to obsess about watching and learning talking points with culture. We do, I do, we, we teach them to our kids too. Here's how to apologetically defend your faith. That's great. Here's how to oppose what's happening in culture, but are we teaching them the actual thing that will sustain them, which is how to cultivate the presence of God in their own life? And are they seeing you, men, are they seeing you do it, not just hearing you talk about it? One of the great joys of my life now started as a frustration and as annoyance. When my kids in the last few years, last three years, when they used to come down in the morning earlier than they were supposed to (laughs) and see me praying, I would get annoyed. (laughs) So stupid. I would get annoyed and frustrated because they were like interrupting my quiet zone space with Jesus. Over time, Jesus began to convict me and he began to say, Andrew, they need to see you pursuing my presence. Don't 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 get upset with them. Don't get annoyed because your train of thought has been broken, and you know, you, the, the, the Shekinah glory has left because your kids are fighting already in the room beside you. And you know, like, don't get annoyed with that. Understand that the greatest thing that you can give them is to model a heart after me. Just show them. Keep doing it. So one of the greatest joys now of my life is when the kids come down earlier than they're supposed to and I'm on my knees praying in our living room. I smile, I hug them, and I keep praying And they just sit there. And I'm okay with it. Because God is teaching me, this is how you shepherd your family. You need to be one who is present with the good shepherd so that they can see in you how to find water and rest. And so many of us, so many of you, I would include myself in this. We're so frazzled and stressed out by the realities of life. We have no peace. We're not carrying peace. And our kids know it. And we're not modeling peace. We're modeling agitation and frustration. Our kids know it. We're not carrying peace and we're not teaching them to be people who carry peace in the middle of the crap of life. And their greatest longing, I think one of the greatest longings of the world right now is for rest and peace. And they're looking to everything under the sun to try and find it. We see this in the areas of human sexuality and identity. It's a deep longing for peace. Something in me is broken and I don't know how to fix it. And so I'm going to grasp and cling to anything that I can come up with to give me peace and rest. And unfortunately, it's not just sexuality. It's with money and power and comfort and affluence. Our world is caving in under the weight of restlessness and a lack of peace. And unfortunately, the church has not been very helpful in this. We have not been carrying peace. I want to leave you just with this thought. We can get more into this later. I've never been a shepherd. I've watched Jeremy Clarkson's farm show on Prime. That's as close as I'm going to get to becoming a shepherd. don't necessarily recommend it, but he does buy sheep and does horrifically terrible with them at first. I was reading a great little book that Rochelle has written by a shepherd on Psalm 23. And these are the four things necessary for sheep to be able to lie down in peace and rest. Number one, the first thing is they need to be absolutely free from all fear. The sheep can sense danger and trouble And they will not rest. They will not lay down. They will not stop. They'll just keep going in circles and around until there's a total absence of fear. And shepherds say the most powerful mechanism in that is the presence of the shepherd himself. There's nothing more powerful for the sheep to calm their fears than the presence of the actual shepherd in the field with them. Sometimes they'll stay out the whole night with them. When they know he's there, when they sense his presence, they're able to rest. Their peace comes. The second thing necessary is there must be no friction with the other sheep. (laughs) The sheep will not rest. They will not lay down and rest when there's tension when there's you know, friction and a butting of heads, a hierarchy pecking order and things like that. Number three, the sheep have to be free from torment and aggravation, from pests, insects. They, they will not rest if they're constantly being aggravated by the stuff that's around them, the little pesky things that are around them. And number four, They will not rest until they've been fed. Sheep will not lay down in green pastures, as David says, until they're full. And so much of our church culture, so much of our culture in the world right now is restless. There's no rest because they have not learned where to go to satisfy the hunger of their life. Coming full circle back to the beginning of the service, the question is, what are you hungry for? And has that been satisfying you to the point where you are living at rest and at peace? What our children need, what our community needs, what Niagara around us needs to see are people who walk in an unusual peace and rest in the midst of torment and tumult and a world on fire, grasping at anything it can to find peace for its soul. Jesus says that I am that peace, I am that life, I'm the water, I'm the bread, I'm what you need to fill your hungry soul so that you can rest. So the question for us again is, what are you hungry for? And as a dad, I'm just speaking to you dads again, what have we together modeled as the place that we go to to satisfy our hunger? Are we teaching our children to find spiritual life and nourishment in the presence of Jesus? Or are we teaching them to chase a whole bunch of other stuff in the same way that the world is? Interesting thought I learned from this shepherd sheep can go months without actually drinking water if if they get up to graze before the sun comes out and the morning dew is on the grass the dew the heavy dew that comes in the early of the morning is enough to sustain a sheep for months Sometimes, if the moon is bright, they'll eat at night. And that water that is on that grass is enough to sustain them when there's no active stream system or water reservoir. And I just felt, even yesterday, the Holy Spirit just impressing this upon me for my own life. I want to encourage you with it as I close. What we so deeply want are those deluges of the Holy Spirit's presence. Like the give me the fire hydrant. I want the mountain glacier stream. <laughs> and I want to experience, and those things happen sometimes. But the reason some of us get shipwrecked and are spiritually emaciated and starving and struggling, and dry, and sick is because we have not trained ourselves to get up and be with Jesus, to eat the grass when the dew is on it. And there's something about this regular rhythm of coming into the presence of Jesus that will actually be the thing that can sustain you between those beautiful moments where you experience the, uh, like a, the, the gushing river of the Spirit coming to renew you. You and I need to develop the same rhythms that those sheep have of feeding on the presence of Jesus in the early wee morning hours, giving our attention to him so that we can sustain life in arid and dry places, that we can sustain spiritual life in a dead culture that is looking to literally kill and steal and destroy any of the spiritual life of God in us. We need to develop the same patterns that the sheep have. And one of the roles of the shepherd which is just occurring to me recently. One of the roles of the shepherd is to train the sheep to do that, to walk out with them and train them to eat that grass when the dew is on it so that they can be satisfied and they can endure the heat of the day. The Spirit of God wants to equip you to endure the heat of our day. But that's not going to come through happenstance spiritual life. It's going to come through giving attention to the presence of God and learning to cultivate and steward it in the wee hours of the morning even so that you have something spiritual that you can then give to those around you for the sake of the world around you. Let's pray. Father, what we need more than my words is just... Just a gentle move of your Holy Spirit. And uh, Father, if anyone here has received my words with any judgment or condemnation, I just command that that be broken off now in Jesus' name. You are calling us out to be shepherds of our own families. Some of us, you're calling us to be shepherds of the body of Christ, but there's a role for each of us in being the spiritual warriors and strategists and boundary markers for our families and our homes and our communities. Jesus, you're calling us even this summer as we have been challenged to walk our neighborhoods. That's a spiritual exercise to assert spiritual boundaries. Father, would, we, uh, w- would you stir in us this hunger and longing to spiritually shepherd not only our homes, but the places we live the sports teams we're involved in, and the workplaces we interact with every day. And I ask that you, Jesus, would continue to train us to not think in the natural, but to to learn how to perceive and understand the spiritual realities, to not fight in the flesh, But would you raise up men and women here in this community? Would you raise up men and women who are willing to step out in the dark of the morning to eat the grass while there's dew on it? Would you redirect our hunger and our thirst towards you? Would you raise us up as men and women who model, who model spiritual life to those around us, who actually walk it and don't have to speak even much about it? Would you, in our homes, in my home, would you teach me to spiritually shepherd Eli and Simon? To teach them where to find spiritual water. To teach them where to eat. To teach them how to cultivate the soil so that it's rich with nutrients. To teach them how to fight lions and bears spiritually. Would you move us into a different reality? And Father, would you use the gifts and the expressions of your very nature in the life of our church and in our families, would we begin to partner with you in a new way to see your kingdom come on the earth, to see ourselves formed into the image of Jesus for the sake of the world around us, to see Niagara not filled with big, fancy, famous branded churches, but filled With men and women who carry the fruit of the kingdom of God, the reality of the presence of Jesus, the good shepherd, the warrior shepherd who came to destroy the work of the enemy. Would we be people who carry that on our streets and neighborhoods in Niagara? Would we be people willing to walk into dark places, trained by you in your presence to tear down the strongholds of the enemy? Would we be people willing to go to battle for our children and our families? And most importantly, would we be people willing to go to battle for our enemies? Would you teach us to love our enemies? We ask that, um, Father, I ask today that you would just help to translate the heart, your heart, to each person who's been so graciously sitting and listening. Amen.